Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Nice. 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 Nice with Dave Delaney. Welcome to episode seven of the Nice Podcast. I am your host, Dave Delaney. Thank you for joining me today. Hey, there's a link in the description of this episode. All you have to do is click it. It goes to friend.nicepodcast.co. Over there, there is a very brief survey. Please go over and take that survey. And and I also want to say thank you to everybody who already has. This will give me feedback into making this show better. Now, I'm feeling pretty confident that today's episode is going to blow your mind because I've got the one and only Marcus Whitney on the show. Now, Marcus is a healthcare venture capitalist. He's an entrepreneur. He's a best-selling author of a kick-ass book on entrepreneurship called Create and Orchestrate, which I highly recommend you check out. Now, Marcus and I go way back to 2007 when I first moved to Nashville. Uh, Our uh, former boss, Clint Smith, set us up on a blind date, basically. We went and had a coffee. Um, He was feeling me out for a position with Emma at the time. I didn't really realize that though. I thought Clint just wanted me to connect with Marcus. And so we met and we had coffee and we just completely hit it off instantly. And in fact, we kind of conceived doing the first bar camp Nashville, which is a technology unconference. But we, we conceived doing this bar camp Nashville idea um, right there over our first coffee together. So we were fast friends and, um, I love Marcus. He is a, he's, he truly is a great guy and someone who I, I respect and look up to a lot. And, uh, he continuously inspires me to, uh, keep pushing forward in my own entrepreneurial journey. Um, so you're going to learn a lot today and you know, I, I would, I want to tell you what we talk about, but I'd rather you just sit back or run faster if you're on a treadmill and listen to this interview with Marcus. So Without further ado, here we go. What's the nicest thing someone has done for you recently? Oh, wow. Um, The nicest thing that someone has done for me recently happened literally in the last 60 seconds, which is my wife made avocado toast with chili crunch seasoning from Omofuku and brought it to me. (laughs) 
<laughs> Rachel is amazing. That is such a nice thing for her to have done. That is a very nice thing to do. In fact, actually, yeah. Uh, yeah. If, yeah. If, uh, yeah. I, and I just got home from going out for lunch with uh, Heather, my wife. So, And she come, came home and she was like, let's go out to lunch. So, uh, yeah, cool. That's very cool. That's very nice of her. And uh, avocado toast, man. Oh, dude, it's so good. Yeah. And, and you know what? Like when you said uh, what was the last nice thing somebody's done for you, it was very easy for me to think about who um, – because over the course of this pandemic, my wife has been doing so many incredibly nice things for me. Um, and I just had to think, well, what was the most recent nice thing? And it was, you know, the toast. So <laughs> what has inspired her beyond? Uh, I mean, I, I personally know Rachel. I know she's she's fantastic. But uh, like, what do you think makes her uh, be so mindful of, of providing nice things? <laughs> um, you know, I just feel like it's a lot of who she is. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you know, that's a really good question. Why does she do that? I mean, I feel like it's who she is. It's how she was raised, mm. um, to be nice and to be thoughtful. Her parents are very nice and thoughtful people. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would probably just say it's just kind of a fundamental part of who she is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, a lot of that can be taught, right? You know, it's the way, the way we treat our, our families and our kids and the way we're raising, raising our people, you know, uh, yeah, there a lot can be said to that. So congratulations on creating, uh, and orchestrating a book, <laughs> uh, called create Thanks, and dude. orchestrate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so tell me the book was fantastic. First of all, I, you know, I, I was very excited when, when it finally dropped and I was, uh, yeah. And absorbed it pretty quickly. Um, yeah. Tell me about the book. Tell me about how it came to be and, and what inspired it. And you, you also did the book in sort of a different way as far as, uh, self-publishing and going through, uh, like a Kickstarter. So do you want to start maybe there and then we can yeah. talk a little bit about what's inside that book? Yeah, for sure. Um, the, the book was conceived as an idea and an initiative uh, in 2015 when I sort of looked up at myself and what had happened in the previous 15 years. And for context, I moved to Nashville in 2000 and I was a college dropout waiting tables with a young family and uh taught myself how to code and then use that skill to then become uh, employed in a, in a fast growing tech company, get a salary. And then over the course of 15 years, you know, just kind of rolled those skills, those technology skills into management skills, into leadership skills, into entrepreneurship, into venture capital. Um, and, uh, you know, it's certainly, I think outkicked my, my coverage given what I am on paper, which is, you know, a black male college dropout in America, you know, um, with, with two kids. So, um, I just sort of thought that there was probably something in my story that would help or inspire other people. I was really sort of pushed to that after I did a TEDx Nashville talk that went very well. And so that was the thought. And I was like, well, you know, the best way to validate if that's true is to do a Kickstarter. And then the Kickstarter was achieved and it was like, okay, I got to do this. When I started doing it, I was very uh, I felt very good. I was very confident, but then uh, it hit me that I didn't really know how to write a book. Um, and uh, the process of learning how to write a book was fairly grueling. Um, 
I was glad that I was not, you know, uh, under the gun with a with a publisher, just sort of with the people mm-hmm. uh, that backed the Kickstarter, because I, I really needed to develop as a writer and develop as someone who could uh, put together a body of work. Um, and I didn't want to do an okay book. I wanted to do it was the first book, so I, you know, I didn't necessarily aspire to have a great first book, but certainly a very good one. I wanted the first book to be very good, and so that was difficult. And then, you know, life started happening and I started having difficulties in business. And then I started really having some imposter syndrome stuff like, should I even be writing this book? You know, given some of the stuff I'm currently experiencing, um, came out on the other side of that and things ended up being really successful and I get it and it changed the, the, the flavor of the book. Um, you know, I was able to write a book that, uh, highlighted and featured in a pretty prominent way some of the, the shortcomings and the failings because I learned uh, tremendous and important lessons from them. And uh, I thought, you know, what better gift to put in a book to somebody than sharing the failure and the lesson such that hopefully they don't have to repeat it and go through the same level of pain. Um, also, some important things happened over the course of the five years that I wrote the book that I think also were successes and um, made the book that much more rich, you know, such as uh, achieving professional soccer in Nashville and and the success of Jumpstart Foundry and and everything we we've done uh, with the VC fund. So, you know, I, I feel it's one of those things that all all things happen in the right amount of time. And um, while I, I certainly don't want to go through the pain of writing the book, I'm very happy with the way it turned out. Yeah, me too. I thought I thought it was. A, I think it's a it is a great book. Um, and it, interesting, you well, not interesting, not a surprise at all, because I've re, I've written a book uh, as well, and I know, and you, you know, you you mentioned the dreaded imposter syndrome, and uh, I remember as writing as I was writing my book, I was actually literally googling imposter syndrome for authors, and you know, and self doubt for authors. And finding so many articles about it and, and, you know, and belonging to some groups of other authors, I started, you know, networking with other authors and, and learning that this, this is so not uncommon. Like everybody goes through this, who writes a book. And, and what a dark place and what an unexpected dark place, you know, it's um, horrible. It's, it is, it is terrible. It's really, really bad. And, uh, and, but I, but I will say, I mean, you, you, you've published a book and, and, um, you know, I know I remember when you published your book and I, I could just like feel how how proud you were of the finished product and, and mm-hmm. um, that you had made it to the other side of it. And I really can relate to that now. You know, I mean, every time I look at it, I just think, wow, that just represents me overcoming all of that darkness. You know, yeah, um, yeah. you know, that 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 period, the insecurity, the I mean, I, I think if you if you've never written a book before. You know, just try to imagine you sit down, you know, you write 10,000 words or whatever, you get it out, you feel really glad that you got it out and you go back two, three days later and you you go to read it and it's just awful. Mm. I mean, you know, the sentences are, are literally just poorly structured sentences and, and you read it and you're like, this is not engaging at all. And it also has all this stuff where you assume that the reader knew what you were talking about and you just glossed over something, you know, and it's just this iterative process of doing that over and over again. Never mind just how difficult it is to get 10,000 words out of mm. your head. You know, um, it, it's, it's, it's hard. Uh, but it is, 
it is a really, really valuable thing to do. And, and I, I think most people should, should try. How can authors or aspiring authors be nicer to themselves? Wow. What a great question. <laughs> um, I need to think about that. Uh, you know, I, 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 I think with most things, uh, solitude is, is bad. Right. And mm. so, um, I, I, it was a long time before I really found community as a, as a writer, as an author. Mm. Um, as soon as I did, things were immediately better. Um, talking to people, especially people who had been there before, mm. Uh, it was, that was very, very, very helpful. And, um, yeah, you know, I, th I think that, um, try the, the thing about community is it should result in you feeling that this path you're walking is a well-trodden path and, uh, that what you're feeling is not something personal to you. It's more about this, this journey you, that you decided to go on and mm -hmm. go through. Um, I think that that's just a, it's just a helpful framing. Cause when you don't have that, then you start to really, uh, make harsh, uh, irrational judgments about yourself and, um, that are just not true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good advice. And, and I think it's interesting what you write about in your book. And I wanted to ask you about it, about, uh, manifestation. Um, so you wrote, and I'll, I'll quote here. I never said that I was a great or even a good programmer. I just believed I was a programmer. This small tweak of believing we already are what we want to be rather than, uh, booming it or, uh, booming it has significant downstream effects. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts on manifestation, um, and how it applied to you becoming a programmer. Um, and, and maybe how it applies to, to becoming an author in a way. I think that I have, uh, have arrived at a place in my life where I have tremendous respect for the impact that the thoughts that I think have on me and, and, and maybe even more how I, uh, what I do with those thoughts. Right. Um, there's all sorts of, weirdo thoughts that, that fly through my head and I just sort of look at them and laugh or, you know, dismiss them. Um, but it's, it's the interplay of how we, as, as, uh, as spiritual beings, you know, the true essence of who we are, how we engage with those, with those thoughts. And generally speaking, you need to just do the level of engagement that's going to be helpful as a, as a basic rule. Mm. And so if, if thinking about, something helps you, then it's good. And if it doesn't help you, then it's not good. Um, and so it is helpful to think of yourself as the thing that you're trying to become is as long as it quiets down the chatter in your head about the imposter syndrome, cause that's just not that helpful. Right. Um, and it also doesn't give you a false sense of confidence that somehow you don't actually need to work really hard. And so it's it's about threading that needle, right? It's it's about how do, how do you not uh, lie to yourself so much that you, that everyone looks at you and thinks you're crazy um, because mm -hmm. what you're saying you are is obviously not true. But you have the tools uh, from a, from a psychic self defense perspective. You have the tools to overcome the 
inner talk that's going to be negative. Um, you you got to kind of deal with both. You know, it's the inner conversation and the outer conversation, and you got to navigate how do you how do you thread that needle. And so for me, just establishing a baseline of 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 me being something without qualifying, I'm good, I'm great, I'm terrible, is is a it's a trick, basically. You know, it's a it's a tactic to be able to do that. Interesting. And I like the, I like the idea of psychic self-defense, like where, you know, where you can kind of protect yourself in a sense of, and, and yeah, you know, like for me, I go through, you know, my own like ch- challenges there of, of self-doubt and, 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 and self-confidence and things like that. And then, but then realizing like, if, if, like in order for me to get where I need to be going, you know, I can't just stop. I was reading, I've been reading, um, the art of thinking or no, the magic of thinking big. Do you know that book? Uh, I don't know that book. It's great. It's from the, I think the 1980s. Um, it needs to be revised a little bit. Uh, it's a little he, he, he kind of thing. Male, yep. not like giggle. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, but in it, he talks about like, if you are, you know, if you're driving your car down a road and the, the, and there's a detour, you're not going to like stop and abandon your car. <laughs> right. All right. And you're not going to just pull over and, and wait for a week while the detours, you know, cleaned up. You're just going to go the other way and figure out how to get to where you're going. That's and, right. And, and I love that, that thought of, of kind of hitting these obstacles along the way, but then making sure that you, you remain on track. Like how are some ways, what are some obstacles that you faced and, and how do you find your way back? Um, it is a strength of mine to, Stay focused on the direction that I'm going or stay focused on the goal I'm trying to achieve. Um, obstacles are always going to happen and life is always going to bring uncertainties and, and difficulties. And it's just there's nothing I can do about that. Mm. Um, so I just stay pretty anchored every single day. I have, you know, a fairly clear purpose at any given point in my time you know, in time in my life. It's like when, when you and I met you know, I was leaving Emma to go start a business and then we decided we were going to do bar camp. It's like, you know, I, I always have something that I'm doing. And, um, I feel like when you have that thing and you have that purpose, you are less likely to be long-term derailed by these different things that happen. It doesn't mean that these incidents won't happen and they won't, uh, create an emotional response that is, uh, challenging and, and difficult to overcome. Of course that will happen. Um, but I think that you can get back on track, you know, when, when you, when your, your focus is on the thing that really, really matters. And, um, yeah, the obstacle, the obstacle is, is unavoidable and just sort of makes the story that much more interesting. And at what point does the universe sort of tell you, like you have to sort of come to accept what the universe is telling you and then, uh, here comes that P word pivot, uh, right. Where you then have to decide, okay, well maybe I need to pivot what I'm doing. Um, you know, you said yourself, like it took you, was it five years, right. To write the book. Yes. Yes. Right. So, and you weren't writing, I imagine, or it would have been way longer <laughs> for all those five years. So That's right. I'm sure you were going through periods where you're, and, and some of those, as we talked about already 
um, or just walls that 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 you hit. And I don't mean yes. I mean you hit, but any author hits for sure. Yeah, but 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 they were, they were certainly my walls, no question. I hit walls. Yeah, but then you realize like there are things like. Like, like the, the saying always is like, nobody writes a book in order to like make money from it. <laughs> you know, yes. those days are, are kind of gone in a lot of ways. So, you know, you've got to keep your family fed, so to speak, and, 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 and do that. Um, so, so at what point do you decide? And I don't mean you, Marcus, I just mean a listener who's listening. How, when, what point do you realize like, okay, wait a minute, I can't keep pushing forward on this thing. Or, or, or when should I hit pause? Yeah. So, um, that's, that's a really interesting question. And I, I think I've always been relatively bad at making the call on that moment hmm. because I have a lot of faith in, in my ability. And also, uh, I am not that good at accepting sunk costs. You know what I mean? In terms mm -hmm. of like of time. I, my hope is that having written the book that I can sort of see in reflection how those failures are just incredible um, learning opportunities and they bolster the next thing that I'm going to do. You know, they, they create real, real meaningful learning um, that that greatly improves the chances I'll be successful next time. So my hope is that I will quit things faster. Um, at the moment, all the things that I'm doing are, are working pretty good. But actually, you know what? Um, I just decided to stop uh, doing a podcast. You know, you've started one. I just decided to stop doing one, not mm -hmm. indefinitely. Um, but I could feel that the direction I was evolving in personally and also that the, the big project I was working on, uh, a new fund that I'm raising, yeah. uh, were not aligned with with the either the cadence and even maybe um, the, the the format of the podcast I was doing. And it was like, okay, you know, this thing has uh, run its course. You know, it was super, super helpful for this window of time. And, and I got a lot out of it personally. I got a lot out of it. Mm -hmm. And um, now maybe it's time to give it a break and focus my energy elsewhere for, for a minute. I can always come back to it. Uh, you know, I just sort of made that, made that decision. Um, and, I, and it was it was it was a really great decision to come to because I I had a lot of trust in myself that uh, it was it was a decision that only I could make and that if I failed to make it I actually could be impairing it you know a, a much greater opportunity for myself. We've talked about um, pivoting. You were talking about you know maybe maybe cooling off cooling off a little bit or taking yeah. a step back from, from focusing on, on your personal brand. I mean, you've got such a great, strong personal brand. Um, and, and, you know, you've got, you know, the, the, uh, a lot of, of great podcast content and YouTube content. And, and, uh, of course, you know, the, the, the other, you know, your book, of course, and your TEDx talk. Um, but it does come like, I, I, I think sometimes about these three C's and for the longest time I talked and spoke and thought a lot about creating and consuming and finding the balance mm. between creating and consuming. Mm -hmm. I talked to my kids about this, right? I mean, their kids growing up in the digital age and all they do is consume. And I'm like, you've got to create stuff with what you're learning. So if you're learning how to like, you know, Sam's a big gamer, he loves gaming. 
Ella loves TikTok and things like that. So it's like, not that I want her necessarily to create TikToks. Good God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but she, she dabbles privately anyway. And, and it's fun because she's into filmmaking and stuff. So it's cool that way. That's cool. Yeah. And then Sam, you know, he's learning how to render and how to do like kind of online graphics. And he's amazing. He's getting there. I mean, he's very amazing. early on, but I'm trying to encourage them. And this is something I talk to people a lot about is, is finding that balance between creating and consuming so that you're not only consuming stuff, but you're not also just creating things. You've got to find that, that balance. And, but I realize there's a third C in that and that is conversions, <laughs> right? Yeah. Where, Hey, I can create and consume like I find the perfect ratio, but you know, if I'm not working or making money, uh, that's going to be difficult, right? <laughs> yeah, um, man. So finding that conversion uh, in there is important. That's I'm I'm so glad you said that. I mean, uh, when I got serious about raising this fund, you know, I ran through the through the math on that, right? And I was kind of like, okay. Uh, I've got all this content that's out there already. I've been doing it, blah, 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 you know, all these different channels. And there was definitely kind of a for what moment. Mm. You know what I mean? Where I was like, okay, what am I really trying to achieve with this? And I think I came down to this idea of I'm I'm trying to work through a certain perspective in the world. Like, how do I see things? Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was starting to get diminishing return on that. Um, I felt like I was, I was having these conversations with people and no, no knock on them. It's just, I was not, uh, I was kind of full from that perspective. You know, I, I, had, I had done as much as I could for that period of time there. And then I started thinking about the conversion piece and it was like, man, I've got a fantastic opportunity to get this fund off the ground. And the way that funds work, um, many people will be very, very, very jealous of this. But the way that funds work is, you know, you bust hump for a period of time to get it off the ground. But once you do that, it's pretty much locked in for the investment period, you know, as long as you don't do anything fraudulent, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's pretty much like there. And you've raised the funds and then it's a matter of investing the funds and, and doing a great job through that process. And so, you know, my my investment period is four years from the day I close the fund, which is December 18th of this year. Mm-hmm. And um, that means I have four years where I don't have to worry about, like, sales. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. And it's like I've never had four years where I didn't have to worry about sales. You know what I mean? So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to totally focus on this for a second. Um, creating platforms will be there. You know what I mean? They'll mm-hmm. evolve. I'll probably be refreshed and renewed and excited to kind of reapproach it. But, uh, you know, I've got this window of opportunity where I can go do this impo- incredibly meaningful fund that I, I feel is, you know, part of my purpose for the next 10, 15 years of my life. Yep. I can go make that a reality and actually, you know, build quite a bit of de-stress in my, in my life for the long term, um, and, and free up a bunch of space for, for the next book, you know, for, Mm -hmm. for, for rethinking about how to do a podcast. So that, that was, it was a trade-off, you know, um, I did some, I did some evaluation and just sort of decided, 
it was time to lock in some conversions, as you say. Yeah. Well, I think, and I think listeners are probably leaning in as you're saying, wait a minute, I could start a fund <laughs> and have four years and not having to do sales. Where do I sign? Yeah. Um, man. But, and, and, and I want to talk about this fund and I want to talk about what you've built here because I think it's, it's incredibly, well, I think it's awesome. First of all, it's very important, uh, work as well. So, um, you know, and you're doing it through, it's through Jumpstart Foundry, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, it's, uh, we've, we've, uh, we've we've tried to really mature our platform over the last year because we you know we're now in our 7th year in business and we tried so many different things over the previous 6 years you know mm-hmm. we're a very scrappy little startup but at this point you know we're we're kind of a young adult i would say in the venture space and and uh we needed to grow up and mature a little bit so you know the, the we now refer to our business as jumpstart health investors we are Venture investors in, in early stage healthcare businesses. That's, that's what we do. We have um, a slate of fund families that sort of focus in different stages. So Jumpstart Foundry, which is our uh, first ever fund family, we've you know, been investing for the last six years. This will be our seventh year investing out of that fund family. Uh, invest in pre-seed uh, stage companies, very very early companies, and we do lots of investments every year. Twenty or more uh, investments a year. Hmm. Um, Jumpstart Capital is you know, our, our standard series a based fund, um, writes bigger checks, you know, million dollars and up uh, size checks. Um, and we, we are now starting a third fund family that I'm heading up called jumpstart Nova, um, which will be, uh, investing in seed and series a stage, uh, companies that have black founders, um, focused on a very, very underrepresented segment of, uh, great founders who just, you know, have historically, not have access, not had access to, um, venture capital. Yeah. And uh, did this come from, um, you wrote an amazing medium, uh, post on medium called calling up Nashville's healthcare leaders. And you made some points in there. Um, you know, like enough to, uh, some of the notes I took, like enough to, enough to fund three country clubs with spare chains, one of which you're not allowed to join. I made a note of that. Cause I'm like, wait, what the, which, which freaking club country club club uh, will not let you join? Cause I want to go and, uh, yeah, that's insane to me. Um, uh, but yeah, you, you, so tell me a little bit about, about how this came to be. You obviously, I mean, uh, yeah, you've you obviously did, did a lot of research in that in that piece, and you shared some pretty uh, pretty sobering thoughts and, and and statistics in that. So yeah, what uh, what what led you to writing this article, and then is is it the article that led to the fund? It is. It is the article that led to the fund, and what led me to write the article was um, that. In the wake of the murder of George Floyd, I got calls from friends of mine who are white males um, in their 50s um, who run multi-billion dollar businesses um, who were, you know, we, we were just having conversations we had never really had before. And they were about race. They were about inequity. Um, they were, uh, question, you know, conversations where they were asking questions in a way that, you know, uh, they hadn't before. And it just it, it signaled to me that we were entering an era where we were going to be having different conversations than we had had previously. You know, I, I, I knew from those conversations that the George Floyd moment was uh, in a way a tipping point. And, you know, as, as it is clearly proven to to have been. Mm-hmm. And so with that, it, it 
you know, it, it forced me to then look at myself and, and, um, what, what my position enabled me to uniquely do. That was the thing I was, I was searching for. I was like, okay, in this moment where, uh, we have eyes and ears and hearts open to a conversation that really hasn't been available to us before, what thing can I add to the conversation that I'm uniquely qualified to, to do? Um, and that's where the, that's where the note came from. You know, um, I am the only black healthcare venture capital partner in Nashville. Nashville is a very, very strong healthcare market Mm. and a very strong healthcare venture capital market. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was a, a topic that I knew about intimately through my own experience. And, uh, through a bunch of research that I had done, it was interesting. Like I didn't have to research to write it, um, because I knew it all, you know? Yeah. Um, and, th- and that, that was, that was sort of the, the unique qualification there was I woke up on a Sunday and I was like, holy crap, I got to write this thing. And I sat down and I wrote that in an hour, you know, I didn't need any research for it. Um, so yeah, I mean the, 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 the purpose was just to be able to, to use my voice to contribute positively to this conversation about um, improving equity in this country mm-hmm. and uh, do it in a way that I thought would be effective. And, you know, thank goodness I had grown so much as a writer in the last five years working <laughs> on the book, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. because writing is such an important and valuable skill. And I got a lot better at it. And so I think that that. Uh, that came through in the letter. A lot of people um, who reached out to me afterwards who were in powerful positions in the healthcare industry remarked about the, uh, you know, the, the, the quality of the writing itself, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a single piece of writing that did in fact lead to um, the, the, the founding of a brand new venture fund on, on our, our jumpstart platform. So, Yeah. And I love the fact that, I mean, you know, getting back to this sort of create, consume, convert, or uh, convert thing is, you, you know, you had these, you know, affluent, white, sort of corporate type, you know, leaders in the, in the healthcare community reaching out to you. And this gave you an opportunity, uh, you know, where, where some companies may completely have failed on, on sort of, di- you know, um, diversity in, in the workplace and things, you know, companies are starting now more than ever to, 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 you know, start focusing on that, hiring the right people and, and so on. Um, but you gave them an opportunity to say, you know what, if you want to help, here's a way to help. I mean, you've got money, cut a check and help invest in these companies. That's right. It's a perfect situation for that. And I, I love that. I love that you've been able to do that. Um, so tell us about, um, a little bit, because in that article, you talked about um, Samuel Howard from Phoenix Holdings. Uh, yes. Tell us a little bit about that story, because I, I, I watched the interviews with him and things afterwards because I found it was really interesting. But I learned about that from from your article. Yeah. So, so Sam is someone who, unfortunately I never got to meet. He, Mm. he passed away last year Um, and he was somebody who was uh, a business legend in Nashville. And, and I, and I think also like, you know, uh, a storied Nashville civic leader. And, um, you know, if you were a black entrepreneur who 
you know, had been around and, and talked to people who had been here for a while, you know, kind of the OGs of the space, mm-hmm. you heard about Sam and you heard about, you know, the success of, of his story. It, it actually was not just Sam. There was another gentleman named Tony Sebrum, mm-hmm. um, who uh, the two of them had very, very, very similar stories. They built very successful businesses in the healthcare space and they ran into real challenges, um, you know, that are largely believed to have been attributed to the success and the fact that they were, you know, black men in the South. Um, mm. And I think, you know, when you look at the timing of, of, of uh, the rise of their businesses, it's not hard to, to believe it, you know? Mm. Um, and so, yeah, you know, Sam was, was, uh, was charged with sort of a battery of, of, of things really around, uh, you know, not being in compliance uh, from an accounting and a tax perspective. Hmm. And, you know, he spent a lot of money defending uh, himself and in the business and in the end was ultimately exonerated. But, you know, um, that doesn't take away the the time and the energy and the, and the legal money, you know, that he spent and, uh, you know, kind of uh, put a real, real damper on the enterprise that he had built. So, yeah, it's um, you know, it's just it's just it's just another part of the, you know, the sad legacy of uh, uh, systemic racism in, in in America. Unfortunately, yeah. Are you are are you feeling more confident in seeing, you know, how people like the Black Lives Matter movement, but also just how people are being more vocal. I mean, there are certainly <laughs> uh, no shortages of, of the, you know, the other side of that with rednecks and what happened at the Capitol and so forth. Um, but do you feel more confident in how the world is moving? I, I was telling Rachel the other morning on one of our morning runs and, you know, it wasn't something I was thrilled about, um, but just sort of talking about, all of the the loss that has happened in in the history of humanity in order to make progress mm. you know and how our generation has largely avoided that and i think um you know we we've only really read about it for the you know for the, for the most part right um We've we've been in this in this uh, in this era where we sort of believe that civilization has evolved beyond you know I'll just say the word but 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 some of the some of the violence that has uh, that has occurred in the past in order for progress to be made you know mm-hmm. um, and I I certainly hope that that is the truth. And at the same time, I understand that it might not be, you know, I, I, I understand that, um, there are, there are, and have been for maybe the entirety of human existence, um, really, really negative forces out there. And, um, you know, We've we've come very close too, you know. We've we've had some really really close calls. Um, the Nazis were a really close call. Mm. The world could have ended up being a very different place. Yeah, uh, you know, if it weren't for um, the world's response to the Nazis in France, right? So, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you have to look at what's happening in the world today and what happened at the Capitol um, with the uh, with the counting of the Electoral College votes and and just say, hey, you know, there's still work to do. There's still work to do. Absolutely. I think a lot about um, and, and something you actually mentioned earlier, um, I think about, you know, writing your book, but about the sunk cost fallacy. And I think it's something that I'm a little obsessed about in a way, uh, you know, and, and it in the idea of just becoming so invested in something that it's really hard to then pivot or deny it or, or, you know, turn your head to it. And, you know, when you, when you talk about that and the idea of like investing tons of your hours and energy into, into writing uh, and not giving up, that's one thing, but the sunk cost fallacy also applies to communities. Mm -hmm. And when you, and that's why I try it. Like, you know, I, I love Brene Brown's work and I'm always trying to think of how to approach life in an empathetic way. And it's number four in your seven list of leadership communication tips, by the way, as, yeah. uh, empathy yeah, and the idea of putting yourselves in the shoes of other people. And I try to think about that. And, and, um, I came across, I, I there's a podcast I really like called you are not so smart, um, mm. which is fantastic. And he interviewed the makers of a documentary about flat earthers and, uh, the documentary, um, is on Netflix. It's called Behind the Curve. And it's a really great movie because, I mean, you, you watch it with like kind of, you know, tongue in cheek, kind of have a laugh because these people are crazy, flat on earth. What the heck? But then you realize through the movie, this is a prime example of the sunk cost fallacy because they get be, they find their community who are so invested in this idea that the world is flat that they then invest in it. They go to conferences. They, they only talk, they, they become friends with these people and they find community based on this thing. Yeah. But then they, through the movie, they start to disprove this theory and they still find ways around proving or disproving this they say well you know obviously the test didn't work we're gonna have to try it again and they're investing tens of thousands of dollars into different tools and tests and things um and i think the same it can be said for and it's not to make excuses for people either but um when you think of like people who you know are still to this day like big hardcore you know trump supporters or yep. whomever. And it's because they live in these tiny little areas, perhaps maybe they're rural, maybe they're surrounded by other people who also their friends, their family. And so for you to turn, not you, but for them to turn their backs on Trump, because Trump is the thing that's holding them all together. And it's the same that could be said to religion or, or other things where if you turn your back on something suddenly, and if you live in a place where you don't have a lot of people around, suddenly you're alone and people yeah. fear being alone. And so this sunk cost fallacy of being part of these, being, you know, a part of these, you know, horrible groups, <laughs> uh, in my opinion. Um, but these, these, these groups where suddenly, you know, you, I, and I think now people are starting to realize, but at the same time, there are still, as we saw at the Capitol, there are still plenty of people. And in the election results, there are plenty of people who still believe this stuff. And I don't know if there's a question there, but I guess, yeah, I, I hope that. You know, people can find community and be, I think part of it is, you know, I interviewed Chris Brogan and he talked a lot about authenticity, but rather not so much authenticity because he kind of hates the word, but rather bravery. Yeah. And I think that's what it's about. I think it's about being brave to admit 
when you're maybe misguided or wrong and, and just say, you know what? I thought I was this, but I'm, I'm that, or I thought I thought this way, but you know what? I'm open to whatever. It's, 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 uh, it's very, very difficult thing to do. And it is a very courageous thing to do. You sort of started this conversation talking about Brene Brown. It is a very, very courageous thing to do. And, um, I, I am, uh, you know, look, Dave, we, we talked about, you know, the drive between Nashville and Grayton beach and, you know, the hundreds of Trump flags that you see mm-hmm. and, and, you know, just from a perspective of empathy, you know, I can totally disconnect the fact that those, that many, not all, but that, that many of those Trump flags were flying right next to a, to a rebel flag. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I can, I can separate that from the fact that these were also homes in these forgotten communities where industry is left. And I just think that we have to think about what are they actually fighting for? Right. You know, and is there any merit to it? Like, let's, like, let's, let's take the racism aside for a second, Mm -hmm. you know, and just sort of think about these, you know, these communities and, and, and what has happened in this country over the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years where opportunity has hyper consolidated into, you know, um, a short list of cities. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're not just on the coast, you know, uh, Columbus, Ohio is like killing it. Right. So it's, it's really about, it's really about urban centers, um, and how much we've consolidated economic, uh, you know, achievement and empowerment into urban centers. And, um, yeah, I, I just, I just think that, uh, we have to try to, we have to try to see the people, you know, mm. we have to try to see the people, not necessarily always see the cause. I'm not, by, I'm not in any way, shape or form, uh, condoning or making an excuse for what happened. You know, I'm talking no. about the yeah. larger issue, right? Yeah. The larger issue of the inability that we have to sort of relate right now. Um, and it does at the end of the day, boil down to a lack of empathy. Yeah, it does. It does. What is Marcus Whitney's views on vulnerability? I'm not a master at it by any means. Um, but over the last two years, I have tried to practice it more. I practiced it a lot when I decided to get sober just because I couldn't, um, I couldn't wrap my, you know, I drinking was such an, it was such an important part of who I was in the world. Um, that when I decided to not drink, I just felt like I needed to proactively share that um, to kind of protect myself. Yeah. You, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, a lot of people would be like, oh, yes, you're so brave for talking about the fact that you're, you know, you're sober now. And I'm like, you know, to a degree, I'm trying to avoid people asking me to like go out for a drink all the time. <laughs> you <know? laughs> right. You know, um, so, you know, I, uh, I, I just think that, uh, you know, when, when you, here's what I found. I I put a bunch of stuff on my website about like divorce and, you know, Mm -hmm. getting sober and failing businesses and, you know, all these, these different kinds of things. Right. And what I find is that often when I talk to people for the very first time, and often these will be like, you know, successful people, CEOs, successful companies and stuff. If they've Googled me and if they've gone to the website and they've checked it out, They'll start with the real stuff. It's like, we don't need, you know, I don't have to screw around with small talk. 
Mm. It's like people will jump right in and they'll be like, well, you and I have something in common. We've both been divorced or you and I have something in common. We both, you know, you know, I've got 10 years and I'm like, oh, that's amazing, man. Yeah. I'm only at two. So you got to tell me like how, how the next eight are going to be. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I, I think, I think that it, it allows other people, like if you proactively lay your armor down, it, 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 it gives people a cue that they can do the same. You oh, I like and, that. Yeah. And that, and that, uh, and you, and I am the beneficiary of that because that means I have much richer, uh, interactions with people. Yeah. And that really does, uh, you know, and what a prime example of being an effective leader, right? But I, yeah, you, you know, I mean, you, you I don't feel that comfortable saying that about myself in terms of like prime example of being a leader, but I do feel that it, um, I do feel that it signals to other people what leadership looks like, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I feel that it, it, it helps people because none of it, the, the, here's the super interesting thing about it, right? It's like, I will say all that stuff and at the same time, I will like crush the execution of everything I'm doing. So like, there's no connection, but between other than a positive one, mm. a positive correlation between the fact that I'm not drinking and I'm like, you know, shipping my book and raising a fund and, you know, yeah. do, you know, and like writing, writing great, great stuff. And, you know, there's a positive correlation, but there's no negative correlation between it. We're hitting the lightning round here. So Okay. Um, so let me ask you this. Who is someone that was especially nice to you in your career? Um, especially nice to me in my career. I feel, and it, it's really, really interesting to say this, you know, um, cause I don't think I thought it at the time, but it's the reason why I had Clint write the forward to my book. Um, I think that Clint and Will were, uh, very, very nice to me. These are the co-founders of Emma, yes. which is where we both worked That's a while right. back. Yes. That's right. That's right. Um, having had other bosses and partners and things like that since them, um, I feel they were very nice to me. Yes. Yeah. They were um, working for them was interesting when I, you know, I think I was employed like 30 or something and we were all in a house crammed together in Hillsborough, Hillsborough Village in uh, Nashville here. And I remember um, each each room uh, of this house had a, a credit card type of debit card for the local coffee shop, Fido. Yes. And people would bitch and complain that it ran out of credit. Yeah. Or they complain that like we didn't have some sort of whatever flavor energy bar that costs like $3 or $4 a bar or something. And I'm, got, I'm like, I came from like corporate companies. Like I'm like, guys, you have no idea how good you have it. <laughs> these kids yeah. today with their tech startups. Yes. We, uh, we, we had it. We had it really, really good. It was truthfully. pretty sweet. Yeah. We were definitely keeping uh, Fido in business. I think. Back then too. <laughs> yes. 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 All right. Complete this sentence. Nice guys and gals finish. Well, Ooh, I like that. Uh, what's a nice book you recommend to the nice makers listening? Uh, I think atomic habits is a nice book. Um, I think that it does a really good job of getting you to focus on the small things and seeing how the small things add up and, uh, kind of take some of the pressure off of, of always trying to set big goals 
I didn't even set any goals for this year, you know, like New Year's goals and stuff. I just have a, a, a small and growing list of habits that are really simple, like, you know, make my bed <laughs> every day. Um, and I notice I can't even do that every day, you know. So uh, I, I think that's a really, you know, nice book. That's great. Atomic Habits. I like it. How is Marcus nice to himself? Uh, when Marcus is nice to himself. So, you know what? The, probably the nicest thing that I've been doing consistently is really just letting myself prioritize getting seven hours of sleep a night. That's is probably the nicest thing I've done because, uh, you know, as much as I think meditation is important and, you know, stretching and mobility work and drinking a bunch of water, I can say with pretty strong certainty that nothing impacts my day more than the quality of this, the night of sleep that I got before nothing. And so I've been really focused on that and it's a, I I'm very happy with myself about it. It's pretty amazing when you stop drinking, how your sleep changes. Oh, it's crazy, Dave. <laughs> and like, and, and, and the, the really crazy thing is without drinking, you can still have a bad night's sleep. <laughs> right. And, and, you know what I mean? And like, then you really realize, oh my gosh, what, what I was doing before, right? You know, um, you really just start, uh, you, you just pay attention a lot more. Yeah, sl- sleep, sleep is just, I, I can't even, I can't say enough about it. Um, I was really into like intermittent fasting and drinking water. And by the way, everything I'm, I'm saying I was into, I still do. Mm. But sleep, top of the list, man. Top yeah. of the list. That's the thing. And I'm speaking from experience too. I'm now, I think seven, a little over seven months uh, sober. So, oh yeah, your 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 sleep is probably starting to get real good. You're probably starting to like get nice dreams and yeah, yeah. It's weird, and you, and even remembering going to sleep. Not that things were that bad, not for a long time, but um, no, but but the old blackouts. Take much. <laughs> Look, I mean, this is the thing that that we kind of learned, right? Is that it only takes two drinks close to sleep to basically like knock your brain out. It's, yeah. You know what I mean? It's not even like you you were over the top. That it's just it's just that's that's how it works. That's how the chemistry works. Yeah. Um, pr- so anyway, if you had a billboard, what would it say? Oh, if I had a billboard, what would it say? Uh, it would probably say you can do it. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> you know it's like it's it's, it's kind of corny, but you know it's a billboard, right? So it's got to be brief. And, uh, people's got, and, and then, you know, I would want to like pick people up, you know what I mean? So yeah, I, I, w- I would probably say you can do it, but not pick people up under the billboard. That would be odd. Yeah, no, definitely not trying to do that. To people. <laughs> I respect, I respect people's space and their, you know, and their bodies. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, how can nice makers find out more about you, Marcus? So, you know, hopefully at some point I will return to posting. I, I've sort of taken an unofficial leave from social like you did intentionally over the summer. I just I mean, I'm still there. I'm not like off off. But, man, I'm like pretty inactive. But, um, you know, Marcus Whitney, um, Marcus Whitney dot com. You can subscribe to my newsletter that I'm not sending at the moment. Or, you know, you, you can subscribe to my podcast that I'm not publishing at the moment. Or <laughs> you can subscribe to my social channels that I'm not posting on at the moment. Um, but. You know, I'm still here. And, uh, you know, if you send me a message, I'll respond, uh, you know, but, 
Yeah, I'll get back to it when I feel like I really have something uh, great to say. But, you know, you can just find me by my name online on any uh, platform, even the ones I don't even use, like like TikTok. I'm still there. What about Clubhouse? You're not on Clubhouse yet? I, I'm on Clubhouse. Actually, Clubhouse is pretty cool, actually. I, I'm actually enjoying it. Yep, I'm 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 on Clubhouse. I, I I lurk. I don't go on the stages, you know. I don't have the energy for that, but I I, I lurk and I and I sit in the audience and I, I listen. And uh, yeah, Clubhouse is cool. Yeah, it is. All right. Well, thank you so much, Marcus. It has been a pleasure as always uh, catching up with you. Thank you, my friend Dave. Thanks for listening to the next podcast. Theme music provided by Alistair Crystal at alistaircrystal.ca. Hey, if you enjoyed the conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review. The links are in the description. I'll have more of that soon. Did you know that new subscribers of the Nice Baker email newsletter receive a free copy of my little ebook, Improve with Improv? Each Friday, I share nice stories, tools, tips, and much more. And you can grab it now from nicemaker.co or by clicking the link in the episode description. I'm Dave Delaney. Take care and be nice.